Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now. Today, I'm joined by my friend and fellow Coloradan, Lori Arfston. Lori has been entrenched in pro-life work for a long time, and I wanted to bring her on to all things to get her perspective on the pro-life movement as a whole and some of its history. It's a diverse group and a diverse movement, which if you're not involved in this work, you may not know that. So I'm excited today to just hear more about Lori's experience and her perspective. So thanks for joining us, Lori. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. I'm excited to be here. Okay, well, why don't you start us off by giving us an introduction to who you are and how you got involved in pro-life work in the first place. Yeah, well, thanks for asking. I actually started to even consider and think about this issue when I was in high school, uh, which is way back in the late 70s. <laughs> and uh, I, I felt a stirring in my heart, just kind of uh, a drawing toward this issue, um, not really coming from my family or any type of uh, background in, in a family that's, you know, looking at uh, civic-minded issues at the time, but it, it was just something personal to me that I really started to care about and wonder, like, what are we doing with this issue? And um, why are, are women feeling the need to terminate a pregnancy? And what is happening? And what's happening, especially, I was thinking a lot about youth, other, other teens, and college-age Women And so I went to the University of Colorado, and uh, the rhetoric on campus in the early 80s was, was very loud. The conversation was uh, very soft <laughs> in terms of any type of constructive dialogue. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't happening there. It was really hard. And um, I didn't really have much information about work that was being done in the area it was just really all political and politicized. And so a friend of mine told me about Alternatives Pregnancy Center, actually, which started in 1982. And so I uh, ended up connecting with alternatives and um, starting this process of, of being involved in this organization and in this movement and which has led me to the place now I'm the director of communications there and uh, that's how the journey began there was also in our family around that um, time frame years down the road where there was an unplanned pregnancy and and we knew about alternatives mm -hmm. and and our family had resources and support through the center so wow yeah how has your involvement in the pro-life movement evolved over the years, or how has the movement evolved over the years? Yeah. Both. I'm hearing you say that maybe it hasn't <laughs> evolved as much as we might think. I mean, it has and it hasn't. I, I think some of the conversations are similar. I think um, now we're in a space where we are looking at what are the barriers and the issues that women are facing early on, I think the movement was highly focused on the preborn child, mm -hmm. and rightly so, in that we should be able and want to protect 
the lives of all humans in our country, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of laser focus on the child, and that was also keeping us in some ways from realizing, okay, this is a person inside another person, which mm-hmm. is the complexity of the whole issue, mm-hmm. right? This is a unique person inside another unique person. And there's a history of women in, in this country and globally of subjugation and oppression, and there's reasons why people right now are so viscerally responding to what's happening because there's been uh, so much really ownership over women's bodies, and so uh, the pushback the pushback is real related to that. Um, but I think now we are are looking at how can we provide um, resources, support uh, for what women are experiencing in a culture that's set up to not accommodate parenthood. Really, we we don't have systems in place that are helpful related to childcare, related to paid maternity leave and transportation and all sorts of things that are needed to be able to um, parent. And so, so there's many issues, but I think the way the movement has changed for the better is that it's more holistic now than it was. Um, but some of the political narratives that were going on in the 80s, I, I still read about every day yeah. on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just kind of shocking sometimes knowing that many decades have gone by and, and we're still saying some of the same things on both ends of this. Yeah, yeah, that's eye-opening for me to hear that as well. I don't know if this has been your experience this year, um, but as we have become aware that Roe might overturn, Um, I've noticed that inside the church or inside at least the pro-life movement, it feels like there are mixed views on how we should move forward if Roe is overturned. So I feel like on one side, I'm hearing people inside the movement say, well, we've got to get better at providing services for marginalized women, as you have just said, more holistic in our approach. We need um, an approach that serves vulnerable women in all these areas to set them up for parenthood, as you just articulated so well. But on the flip side, and maybe it's just a corner that I'm hearing that's not, I don't know how loud it is. You can maybe speak to it. But it it feels like others in the movement and in the church um, increasingly are saying that women who pursue abortion should be criminalized, Hmm. um, that a woman should be held legally accountable for seeking an abortion. So those are two really different perspectives. And I'm, I'm not, maybe that second perspective that I just articulated is a minority view. Maybe not. I'm not really sure. But um, with those two different views in, inside one, you know, inside one movement, <laughs> yeah. what, what do you think about that? Is that representative of the movement or is that um, kind of an anomaly? I think there are many variations within the movement for sure. And, you know, and I'm, I'm speaking from my perspective, sure. my own history, um, my own experience uh, related to this work for years. Um, I, I personally reject the idea of, um, you know, incarcerating women. That is not the ro- road that I think we should go down at all. Um, I think the, the pro-life movement reflects a lot of the other ways that we are, we are kind of falling on the spectrum related to other issues. So mm-hmm. if you look at 
uh, other inter other intersectional issues related to this issue, whether it's you know, racism or police brutality or critical race theory, whatever it is, you've got this spectrum where people land and there's a group that wants to dig in on, on one end and a group that wants to dig in on the other end of things and keep us in this space of not being able to humanize the issue. Mm. And it just keeps us kind of locked in on, this is what I believe about this this is correct, this is biblical, this is where we should land, or this is what I believe, and we stay in that space. And um, so it's un I think it's unfortunate because it keeps us in this movement from progressing because we just stay in our camps. It's, um, there's, there's research done out of the University of Notre Dame in 2020 about how Americans understand abortion. And the research really came up with this um, report that talked about, you know, mostly people stay in their camps, but in the end, they're more in the middle, and, and the average person is struggling with the gray mm. of what is being faced by a woman, by a man, by a teenager. And, but we aren't willing to have that, that conversation within our our circles. Mm -hmm. We're not willing to have the hard conversations, and instead we just want to stay, you know, where we land. Mm -hmm. And so I can imagine, I haven't heard a lot of that related to um, wanting to criminalize people, but I can imagine there is that contingent. And uh, fortunately, I feel like I've heard a lot more about what are we going to do as a culture yeah. to address the issues that we haven't addressed for decades. Right. Could you unpack that a little bit more? I mean, what you just said regarding the issue of abortion overlapping with other issues, whether it's racism, yeah. poverty, police brutality, you mentioned. Um, I mean, we've just come through a tumultuous few years as a nation. Uh, of course, one could argue it's been tumultuous since the beginning. <laughs> but um, with yeah, with regard to the the overlap of these very issue these various issues, and I realize that's a huge question. That's a huge question. <laughs> that's a huge question. Um, but that's a speak huge to one. it a little bit because I feel yeah. like probably a lot of listeners are like, "What are you talking about? Like, abortion is its own thing. It's 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 a siloed issue. There's not overlap in these other ways." Could you educate us just a little bit? Um, yes, about I'd that? be glad to to take a, a attempt an attempt. Um, you know, I think when we think about this issue related to um, pregnancy termination, it's, it's helpful to understand the way systems are impacting women especially um, in, this, in this regard. And so the, the women that we are seeing are... Um, you know, all across the board in every demographic. But some things that are common have to do with uh, finances and financial constraints, lack of uh, medical care and insurance, um, child care issues, housing issues, and uh, instability in relationships. Those are all some of the really big things that are happening. And so 
that's going on in a person's life. Yes, they're pregnant, but all of those things are happening. And then you add any of the, the systemic issues that are going on related to um, groups of people in the country who have been under-resourced in communities and have been oppressed in communities and and all of what's facing them in addition to all these things we're talking about. You know, when we talk about like um, maternal mortality and the issues that are going on with our uh, sisters in the African-American community, those things are real and um, they are facing those issues in addition to some of the other pressures that people are experiencing when they're considering, can they actually take on um, a new life or, or another life? Mm-hmm. A lot of times mm-hmm. this is happening um, with women who already have kids. And so these, these considerations are huge. And then you add any type of abuse. You know, in the last few years, we've seen an increase in domestic violence across the country. Um, and so you add in something like that, and you're in a violent situation. You already have kids facing financial constraints, facing um, any type of, you know, p- oppressive situation from race or uh, economics or whatever it is, and you've just added in a whole bunch of things that make it so difficult to find that path forward that could make it so you can continue a pregnancy and then parent and continue parenting. And so there's the intersection comes in all different ways mm-hmm. at, at every turn. And so I think I, I do see some hope within the movement right now that there are people that are looking at that more carefully now and thoughtfully Mm -hmm. and realizing there's a lot of history that's gone on in this country um, that is making this conversation uh, even more difficult and it's and the conversations are um, important that we could try to start having them inside the church outside of the church Mm -hmm. and so maybe that gives a little bit of a little bit of insight into what's what's gone on, but it's been a difficult few years. Um, and I think, I think we have a responsibility as a movement to, to know history better and look deeper into the issues that are being faced by all women. Mm-hmm. So what would be your recommendation for pursuing that understanding? I mean, where where do listeners go if they say, okay, I'm convinced there's more to it? Um, where where does one go to learn more and to grow in this yeah. area? Um, I Well, for me, I spent the last few years really diving deep into um, just different literature. Um, I read a book called Stamped from the Beginning that took took me through the history of racist ideology from the 1400s to the present. 
And that was helpful for me mm-hmm. because it, it opened my eyes to some history that then really connected with this issue and how we've got to the place we have uh, as a country related to abortion and all sorts of other issues. Mm-hmm. So I did that. I spent time with that. I had I met with some other people around that. Mm-hmm. And then I, I really committed to following um, both faith-based um, pro-life and pro-choice leaders because I wanted to hear more um, from different groups mm-hmm. and understand it in a deeper way. Mm-hmm. And I, I made a determined effort to follow especially women of color, mm-hmm. uh, both Christian and non-Christian um, also, people in the in the indige, indigenous movement mm-hmm. as well, and trying to learn more of the history of of different women in the country. Mm-hmm. And I think right now there's just there's a lot of amazing thought leaders in this movement. Mm-hmm. I mean, I uh, we talked before about Sherilyn and uh, in uh, Black Pro Life 1619 and. New Way Feminists mm-hmm. and Rehumanize International and Erica Bakioki and there's there's so many people right now who are sharing content, especially over social media. So I mean that's where a lot of this has come from. Mm-hmm. Um, listening to podcasts, reading, and kind of like making myself be in some non-traditional spaces mm-hmm. related to this. And push myself yeah. a little bit, you know, because I I'm sure I'm similar to tons of the people who are listening to you. Mm-hmm. You know, I started out in caring about this issue, the preborn teens, and um, you know, just was your average person caring and and learning along the way, and just in a space of humility to to learn a little bit more mm-hmm. and to expose myself to more and not be afraid to do that. And I encourage people, um, I encourage people to do that. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's helpful and it's, it can help in the conversations that we are trying to have to solve this issue, especially as women, but men as well. Right. That's so good. I really appreciate your exhortation to us to listen well to be willing to be uncomfortable, to seek out voices we might not normally seek out. Because um, as you say, it feels like we're somewhat a, a stalemate, that we're yelling the same arguments back and forth that we have been for yeah. decades. So we've got to do something different. Yeah, we need to try something different. And and I, um, I fail on a regular basis uh, it, I, in my own family, uh, with friends. You know, it's, dif- it's a difficult space to 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 be in I'm doing this work but um, obviously every person in my life doesn't feel the same way about it they might feel radically different and so how do we have grace for each other and mm-hmm. hold space for each other in that and um, yeah so I have good and bad times in that where mm-hmm. I do a better job or not do a good job at all yeah same <laughs> I could say the same exact thing for myself 
So I know that a lot of your work, Lori, is talking to the church, talking to pastors, talking to leaders, communicating yeah. a vision for the movement and where um, where help is needed and where action is needed. What is it that you want Christians, church leaders in particular, maybe? Um, what do you want the church to know? What do you want us to be doing better or doing differently? Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a little bit of a time this morning at a church conference to address the pastors and you know what what we're seeing with some of the research that's been done uh, related to to women in the church is their the perception is that they are are not going to receive grace in the space the church environment from other women mm-hmm. and from leaders and whoever. And so the perception is that they're really only going to receive shame and judgment. And so uh, some of this re- research points to the fact that they don't even tell anyone in the church. Um, they don't tell anybody in their life. And so they move on and make a decision really in 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 private, in in secret to some extent to terminate a pregnancy and so that kind of that kind of perception is what we as believers have to change and what i said today was i said you know whatever happens legislatively and and yes in this country we all believe in legislation and policy that can help to protect all people at all stages of life but whatever comes down related to the Supreme Court, the next day, there is still going to be a demand for abortion. There, there is, and, and why, mm-hmm. and addressing some of the things that, that we were talking about. And so uh, how can we start to really address the issues and provide resources collectively as a community? Because... No one is going to do that for us. Like We are going to have to do that together, and we're going to have to find a way to create a culture of compassion. And what, what's unfortunate right now is the politics of the day, the, the, the leaders of the day get to control this, this narrative, um, and it's always very difficult because they're, they're not necessarily doing this daily work, and I'm not trying mm-hmm. to... Mm-hmm degrade the work that they are doing as leaders but but the people who are doing the work of this every day don't don't have the the audience of the country mm-hmm. and so uh, you know it looks like we're judgmental and awful when instead you know most of the people in this movement are are in the trenches trenches trying to create change mm-hmm. and so the church is going to be key because we've had decades and decades and we haven't gotten the job done in terms of creating an environment where people feel like they can continue a pregnancy because they know that they know that their community, their country, their friends, their family are going to support them mm-hmm. and, and make it so that they can keep going in a pregnancy and and not just that, but that they can have a full life. And because the, the women that come in don't, it isn't like they are 
excited in any mm -hmm. way mm -hmm. about ending their pregnancy. They are scared and backed into a corner and cannot see a way out, and they have trauma. Um, and it's hard to make decisions out of that space. Yeah. And so we just need to look at it, I think, from a, a church and, and church meaning the church and mm -hmm. us as believing people. We have to look at it from a different perspective and create an environment that's much different than we've got right now. Because we say this a lot at, at alternatives, but unplanned pregnancy is part of our shared humanity. Mm -hmm. It's This isn't just a women's issue. This is, a, is women, men, teens. It's a human issue. It's the collective. And we've, we've got to find a way to be looking at it from that perspective. So I'm hoping that that the church, you know, big C church, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, as believers in this country, we could, we could start to go a different direction, and, and come from a place of compassionate support, and, and really understand too that the people that are shouting against us or, or, maybe picketing us in the next few weeks, are having a visceral reaction to feeling like they have no control mm -hmm. over themselves. And, and that's something to look at. Like, why do people feel like that? Mm -hmm. And so, but, but can we listen? Can we try to even in, listen and engage and create a different, um, a different community? So I'm hoping the church will want to go that direction. Right. Um, I will definitely link in the show notes some of the resources that you've already recommended in terms of reading and listening and mm -hmm. podcasts and social media. Um, in addition to growing in our understanding and becoming better listeners, are there other practical steps that you could recommend to a listener? Things that are truly impactful that she or he could start doing if she or he wanted to make a difference in the yeah. pro-life movement, you know, starting tomorrow, starting <laughs> next week. Yeah. I think, you know, for people across the country and even, I know you have a, a global listenership, um, for people across the country, there are pregnancy resource centers all over. And it's not perfect. <laughs> uh they're all run a little bit different. You know, at, at Alternatives, we have a medical team with two OBGYNs who supervise sonographers and STD clinicians and uh, a team of staff and volunteers. And we have a licensed professional counselor that supervises all of our client advocates and, and master's level counselors. That's how we're set up. And, and so that... That setup isn't necessarily the same all over the country, but the resource centers are there to try to help the people in a community. And so if somebody is interested in helping support that effort, it, it's so impactful in a community. We are able to provide all of our medical services, counseling services, education at no cost because people donate. Yeah. And so um, financial support mm -hmm. is, is actually huge mm -hmm. for pregnancy centers across this country. Mm -hmm. 
Um, because in this day and age related to medical care that we can provide that in this city is, is huge. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's one way. So the financial piece is important. Uh, helping us with awareness all over the country is, is really important because, you know, a lot of these pregnancy centers don't have this, you know, multi-million dollar advertising budget. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and people don't know centers exist necessarily, even though there's about 2,500 in the country. And they don't necessarily know about it. And <clears throat> so helping us with awareness. So we try to be all over in the summer, especially at resource fairs, community exhibits, and things like that, and have volunteers help us to be out and about and giving out diapers and wipes and bibs and baby clothes and uh, formula and things like that and letting them know, hey, this is a place that you can go if you're in this situation or a friend is. And so that part is really important. So helping us, we call, we call that group of volunteers ambassadors, but we always need people who will help us do that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we have volunteers who come in and just call and thank our donors. Mm -hmm. That seems like a small thing, but it's huge. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the resources that we give away are, are donated to us. And I think also in the church, you know, if people are in any type of faith community, to, to create a group that is really, you know, a pregnancy care ministry or something, or a group that's connected to people who have already been through an abortion experience. Um, because we have millions and millions of women and men who have been through this who are uh, still processing what happened and, and the choice they made. We have uh, a site now called My Choice, My Story, which we would love to have uh, your listeners follow. But it's a platform for people to be able to talk about this in a really constructive way. And we have four women who told their story from probably around 30-year-old to up until a 75-year-old and share their story and their abortion experience and what happened and how it impacted their life. And mm -hmm. really, they just wanted to share that to help somebody else who yeah. may be in a similar situation and may still be kind of working through it. So I think uh, those are some of the, those are some of the practical ways. Mm -hmm. But having civilized conversations, even just in a family, is part of moving moving the needle. And then looking at some of the the other issues that are connected to this. So housing is a huge one, and trying to connect with how we do that better. <laughs> and those things all impact this, this issue. So being involved in any of the other things that impact human, human life um, is going to also help this issue in particular. Yeah, that's great. It is encouraging to know that action can be taken right away. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes those of us who aren't involved in the daily work um, imagine that we have nothing to offer 
or that there's no difference we could make or we're not trained or somehow equipped? Oh, gosh, no. This is, this is all just about everyday people doing this work yeah. and, and caring, about, caring about women, caring about youth. Mm-hmm. You know, we have um, a whole department called A Promising Future that's, that's about life skills, education, and helping students to really be in a space where they can think through things critically and and develop some skills that will that will help them solve problems so when difficulties come their way they're able to adjust to the circumstances mm-hmm. and so working with youth you know I had a pastor the other day who said he had somebody in his congregation who said hey we want to put pink and blue flags outside so that everyone will know we care about this issue and he said to them, you know, he said, here's another idea. We are, our church is across the street from a high school, and every day 150 kids come over here for after-school support. And he said, what if the most pro-life thing you could do would be to be tutoring and pouring into a teenager here in this study session mm-hmm. after school? And I was proud and amazed because that that kind of thinking is what is what we need but it's just that we're trained to think of this issue in the political space yeah and the I stand here and you stand there sort of yeah um view and so that's yeah. a great story yeah that's such a great example of that somebody because uh, that that sort of speaks to the intersection of all the other issues that you've mm-hmm. you've taught us about already is what if we, as humans, moved toward other humans who are likely in a precarious position if they're coming in for after-school support? These are teens who need love and care and encouragement, and that's mm-hmm. often the population that does face an unplanned pregnancy. Yep. So what yep. if our church loved these teens mm-hmm. uh, from the get-go? That's yeah. a great example. I love that story. Okay, well, last question. I know this is a hard one because I know the reality of the work is hard, but do you feel hopeful or do you have glimpses of hope? Can you, can you close our conversation with a hopeful note? Is that, is that possible, Lori? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think um, I, I love this generation that is really, you know, my kids' age in their 20s. Uh, 20s and 30s, they are passionate around really, really important issues. They are, I believe, trying to love people well and um, trying to just dig in and face uh, some things about who we are as people, who we are as Americans, things that maybe um, other generations haven't wanted to look at. And so I think all of that is hopeful because their their hearts are in this. Mm. And so what I see is I see them uh, just caring about humanity mm. and um, wanting to try to balance 
and understand and look at some of the harder things. So, I, and I see within that group, like I said, some of the, the thought leaders of our time right now who are, who are young, who I regularly am um, influenced by. I think even of the young women that are on our team recently that, that we've been able to hire who are so thoughtful, mm-hmm. like just thought-filled people and, and trying to address this, this issue in a very holistic way. And so that to me is a lot of the hope. And I think, um, I think it, it's really on my generation to uh, listen to them and also be a part of their process as they really take on this movement. Like they, they are the ones that are going to take this on. And I think we can't try to make it in our image of what it mm-hmm. should look like and based on what we've done, it has to look like what it's going to look like um, wh- when they take it on. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I am hopeful because of the things I'm hearing related to um, this new generation. Mm-hmm. And I think also with, with the men of this time as well in this generation, mm-hmm. I, think, I think they are really trying to understand and figure out where do they land in this and uh, you know they they've been pushed out of it um, you know for for a lot of historical reasons they've been pushed out of it but they they need to be in it <laughs> because they're definitely part of the whole issue they're they're human beings and they are fully part of creating another human being and so uh, I think they're going to find their voice in this movement, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think it's going to be good. And I'm excited for that. Mm-hmm. And I'm in, I'm impressed by a lot of what I'm I'm hearing and seeing. And I think I think this generation also understands some of the grassroots things that need to happen. And um, you know, they aren't going to be completely. Um, I guess, completely committed to only the legislative end of things. I think they're understanding that it's person to person and that that's going to be really, really important. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're willing to step out and, and stand up for what they believe, but to do it with compassion. So mm-hmm. I, think, I think the future will be in good hands. I'm hoping for some of these conversations to... Um, I guess really, really change as as we go in the next decade. Yeah, I agree. That is reason to be hopeful. Young people who are willing to step out, but also with compassion. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lori. Yes. This has been really informative, helpful. So hopefully it'll be transformative as well. Hopefully the audience, myself included, will take this um, episode to heart and pursue some real action and change as a result of it. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. So we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.